Yes, and uh, good evening. It's uh, obviously a popular topic. More people than usual. And I think uh, it is actually encouraging to see so many people coming to uh, talk on such a topic. Today someone telephoned the uh, Buddhist Center and asked if there would be a a talk this evening and I said yes and they asked what's the topic and I said uh, death and dying. (laughs) They thought it was going to be a rather depressing talk. I'm not sure whether they came or not uh, this evening. And it is true that more often than not, especially in this society of ours, which is very much a life-affirming society, youth-affirming society, beauty and pleasure-affirming society, the topic of death and dying is usually avoided. And I must say that it's actually not only (coughs) in this society, you find in most societies, uh, traditional Buddhist cultures, also tend to avoid the topic of death, as if it's something unpleasant, depressing, to be avoided, it's something which is uh, even maybe a bad omen. You don't want to talk about it, you may encourage it to happen. But of course this is not uh, very wise, this attitude. And certainly not in keeping with the Buddhist attitude. And so this evening I will just speak on the topic death and dying from the Buddhist perspective. The Buddhist attitude to death and dying. So to begin with, why should we speak about death? Why should we contemplate death? Because, in fact, not only did the Buddha encourage us to speak about death, he actually encouraged us to think about it, contemplate it, reflect on it regularly. On one occasion the Buddha asked the monks, there were a few monks together, and he said, how often, monks, do you contemplate death? One of them replied, Venerable Sir, I contemplate death every day. Every day I contemplate death, he said. Not good enough. And he asked the other monk, and um, he said, Venerable Sir, I contemplate death with each mouthful that I eat during the meal. He said, Better, not good enough. <laughs> and the other monk finally asked, And what about you? And the other monk said, Venerable Sir, I contemplate death with each inhalation and each exhalation. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Because that is all it takes. That's all it takes. The inhalation comes in, it goes out, and one day it won't come in again. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) That's all there is between you and death just that inhalation, the next inhalation. So that obviously the Buddha considered this a very important uh, part of uh, meditation and a very important part of the training towards uh, becoming more wise, more enlightened, more peaceful, because that's what all of the Buddha's teaching is concerned with how to become more wise, more peaceful, more enlightened. And this contemplation of death was considered to be quite important on the path. So now, why? Why would one be encouraged to contemplate this? And the answer is quite obvious. The answer is very much the reason why we don't usually want to think about death, want to talk about death, want to contemplate death, that is fear. Whether it's conscious, whether it's uh, unconscious, there is the fear of death. There is a reluctance, the tendency 
who want to avoid a reluctance to come face to face with this reality. Death is very much part of life. It's just as much part of life as birth. In actual fact, the moment of birth implies death. Everyone, from the moment of conception, from that moment onwards, it's just a matter of time. Death must come. No one can escape death in the sense that that which is born will die. That mind and body which arises at the time of conception develops, grows, matures, follows the process of becoming old, if you wish. We call it growing up. First we call it growing, then growing old. But it's just a process of maturing, if you wish, developing, evolving towards the inevitable death. Every one of you has signed a contract, and I did as well. You may not remember signing that contract, but everyone, you said, I agree to die. Yes, you did. That moment of birth was the contract that you said, I agree to die. Every living being, not only human, not only animal, but in every plane, in every realm, everywhere where there is birth, there is the inevitable balance, death. Today, I read this in a book, today about 200,000 people die. That's the average. And today is not special, is it? Every day. Apparently about 70 million people die every year. It's a lot of people, isn't it? And the population of uh, Australia is only about 16 million. And every year 70 million people die by various means. And in one day approximately 200,000. That's an awful lot of people. But in our society in particular, the way we live in this society, we have very little contact with death. We are not usually brought face to face with death. We are not encouraged to contemplate death. We are not encouraged to come to terms with death. What we are usually encouraged to do is avoid it avoid it. To live as if you're not going to die. That is one of the most remarkable things is that we kind of intellectually we all know we're going to die but we all live as if we're never going to die. <coughs> so now this avoidance this negation usually means that we will retain the fear of death. And as long as there is fear of death, life itself is not being lived at its best. So one of the very fundamental reasons for contemplating death, for considering this reality, contemplating it, making it fully conscious, is for the purpose of overcoming fear, getting beyond the fear of death. The contemplation of death is not for the purpose of making us depressed. It is not, it is not for the purpose of making us uh, morbid. It is rather for the purpose of helping us to become free of fear, fear of death. That's the very first reason which I will continue to explain in more detail. The first reason for this topic and the need for this contemplation. The second reason is that 
when we concentrate there, it will, mm. through this conscious acknowledgement of our mortality, the full recognition of our mortality, it will change the way we live, our attitudes towards life, the values that we have in life will change quite drastically. Once we stop living as if we're going to live forever, we'll start living in quite a different way. And I'd like to go into that aspect of it, the second reason for the contemplation of death. The third reason that I'd like to go into this evening is the ability then to also approach death in the right way the way we actually die, in other words, dying. So that this contemplation of death has the benefits of one relieving fear, two of bringing new quality to our lives, so that we live our lives with proper values, and three, it enables us to die a good death, hmm? if you wish. It enables us to live a good life and die a good death. What else would you want? Great. So these are these sort of areas. The first one is the actual contemplation of death. <coughs> this means bringing into mind, hmm, actually bringing it into the mind, making oneself <coughs> acknowledge by just consciously bringing into the mind the fact, the reality. That is, I am going to die. You say, but I know that. No, we don't know it yet. <laughs> Not fully consciously. So this can be done as actual, an actual contemplation. And there are various ways of doing it. There are many opportunities that facilitate this contemplation many opportunities that remind us of this reality. But in this society, in the normal course of living in the present day in this society, there are not so many of these opportunities, simply because we are so far removed from death. We don't see it. I mean, yes, you see it on television, and you see it on the movies, but it's kind of, it's, it's a game. Dying is like a game. You know they're only acting. It's only a game, isn't it? You sit there and watch, uh, you know, five people being shot, hundred people being shot. It's only a game. Cowboys and Indians. So that is actually it has the opposite effect. You see, it makes you uh, even less able to acknowledge the reality of death, because it's like a game, it's not real. It's reinforcing the attitude, the perception, the view, that it's not real. Life is real, that's something that death is not real. Hmm? We are very far removed from the experience of death, not because death is not to be found, not because death is not present, it's because the way the society is structured now. How many of you see death? How many of you see dying people? How many of you uh, are present and, uh, at the time of death? How many have had the opportunity to sit with the corpse in front of you, with you? It's, many of you have, on occasion, because it doesn't matter how far removed you are, you can never be completely removed, because it's such a, a present reality. Somebody in your family dies, but it's still taken away from you quite often. Somebody dies in hospital, if they die at home, you sort of stay in the back and call the funeral director, say, take the body away, put it in the funeral parlor. Maybe you have a service and the body's over there all sealed up, and uh, you know, then it's cremated for you. So you have very little contact. This is very different to what uh, the situation used to be in earlier times, in more simple cultures, more basic, undeveloped 
rural society. Somebody died in your family. You're the one who has to wash it, dress it, bury it or burn it. Yeah, you have to do it. No one is going to come and do it for you. You're, you and your family and your friends. You have to dress that body. You have to carry it out. You have to pull, collect the wood, make a pile, put the wood body on a pile of wood and burn it. This is how cremation was. It wasn't uh, <laughs> it was very basic. And in actual fact, this is very much how we, uh, we still cremate bodies in our forest monastery, not in Australia. In Thailand, we cremate bodies like this. Usually we do use a very simple coffin that the villagers make themselves. Just collect some planks, knock up a coffin, put the body in it, no lid, bring the body, put in the hall, everybody is there to see it, to contemplate it, and uh, then the body is put on, a, they make a, a pile of wood, with logs, red wood, and it's burned. And everybody stands around and watches the burning of this body as a contemplation. So there is an actual opportunity to see the natural end of life, one end of one cycle in life. And that has a very good way, good effect in helping us to rise up and come to terms with this reality, rather than it being the ghost, the skeleton in the closet waiting to sneak up and haunt you. Because anything that is not fully confronted, fully come to terms with, fully consciously brought into the mind, can have power over you. See, ghosts, they usually haunt at night, don't they, when you can't see them. They sneak up behind you, and they come when, when you're not looking and can't see them. When you put on the light, there's no ghost, you see. to have power over us, to make us frightened, to make us experience fear, it must remain something that we can't face, something that we can't fully consciously see clearly. It must remain an unknown, mysterious. And as long as we allow death to remain that, it will have the power to bring fear into our beings, into our hearts, into our minds. So through contemplation, through intentionally, consciously finding ways of bringing this fact into the mind and coming to terms with it, fear can be overcome. So one of the uh, contemplation is the contemplation of death. This can be done in many ways. Mm. Every morning in our monastery, mm. nearly every morning, most mornings in the monastery we do a, one particular reflection, which is, uh, I am of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. I am of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond sickness. I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will change and become otherwise, will become separated from me. Now this is, uh, you know, if you contemplate this, these facts, these realities, and with a peaceful mind, and really bring it into the mind, it does help. It really has a powerful effect to overcome the fear of all that sickness there separation. It's not to make us morbid, it's to make us free of fear. That is why we contemplate death. It's not because we are looking forward to dying, but because we want to live without fear and die without fear. So, it is uh, encouraged it is very much encouraged to have these opportunities to say, be with a body, a dead body. If that ever happens to you, it's a good opportunity to actually sit there and be with this body, to actually see the end of a human life is this. 
say. And when you die, you can't take anything with you. Hmm? Not even your own body. That's a very important one. Hmm? Come to that again a little later. In Buddhist monasteries, this is uh, so important that quite often you even find uh, in the meditation hall things like skeletons hanging up. And in our monastery in China, we even had a pickled baby, which is for some of you a little bit gross. And uh, some Western people who come to the monastery are a bit turned off by this glass box, glass case, uh, with this little baby in it pickled and preserved rather is sitting there and then on the side of it is a big glass box with a skeleton <laughs> in it and this is at the front of this meeting hall and of course we can see wow these Buddhists one time somebody came and said I heard them whisper this western people said looking at that baby they said do you think that was a sacrifice to the Buddha? <laughs> uh, because what we perceive is very much according to our conditioning. That's, yeah, that thought could have come into the mind. But no, that wasn't. <laughs> it is a little bit difficult to understand unless you appreciate the importance that we place on the contemplation of death. Not and not for depression and developing a morbid attitude but for developing the attitude of fearlessness in life so skeleton yes and um, one monastery that I had this month uh, he died quite a number of years ago and he left instructions and they followed his instructions so they put his body sitting in full lotus in meditation with his robes on in a glass box and he's sitting there like and he was sort of deteriorating slowly but he'd been in balance so he's still in reasonable shape after a number of years and he's sitting there and written on the front of this glass box was something previously I was like you soon you will be like me <laughs> Now that's a, a quite a powerful, like just that, if you really, when you see that, I mean it's quite a powerful fact. You're not, you just can't escape, that is a fact, you see. The fact is every single person in this hall is going to die. That is not a prediction that I'm making through some clairvoyance power. <laughs> And it's an inescapable fact, because you're born, you're going to die. All that remains, I know, is time. When? When is it going to happen? That's all. The fact is that you will die is not questionable. It is the reality. So now, we contemplate in various ways. When there is death, it is good to come into contact with death. So this, this person was living, just that. Uh, you know, maybe only ten minutes ago. Now, yeah, yes, I'm going to. That's what's going to happen to me too. And even if one there is no body and no corpse inside, or one can do this just sitting quietly, just sitting very quietly, and just bringing that thought, making that thought very clear in in one's mind. I'm going to die. I am going to die. I am going to have to leave everything behind. Every single thing, everybody is going to be left behind. I am going to die. Now, remember the purpose of this. So that this is like to force the mind to come face to face with this reality. And quite often you will experience fear. Yes, because there is still fear. It hasn't been resolved yet. It hasn't been accepted yet. And that's the purpose of it, is to allow the fear to arise. So that then we can use wisdom. We can use wisdom. We can use co uh, contemplation. 
in order to transcend this fear, to get above this fear, to be able to acknowledge death without fear. As a Buddhist monk, it is actually often the case that we see a great variety of life. Quite often people think the opposite, think that because we're kind of monks, we're sort of, we're removed from the realities of life, we're protected and sheltered, we live in some sort of um, remote realm where we don't really know what life's about. And uh, in some sense that may be true. But in another sense we have a lot more contact with a lot of life that many people don't have. Especially from the, you know, the role of a, a monk with a community of people that one acts as a spiritual guide and refuge for. When there's a birth, yes, they bring the baby to the monk. And everybody's happy. And the monk is a blessing. And the monk experiences what it is for people to be happy and for there to be birth. When there is someone sick, get the monk. And the monk has very close contact with sickness and pain and fear of sickness. And when there is death, yes, very important for the monk to be there. Because most people are very terrified of death, both the dying and those around. And most people feel very much at a loss. What do we do? So as a monk, I found that I have many, many occasions that I come into contact with these dreams, the pleasant and the unpleasant. And death I have found to be one of the most rewarding um, learning experiences for me. And also I have found it to be one of the most rewarding opportunities for being of service. Because that is the time that people seem to need the most help. And that is the time when I have felt the most use. You know, people think that I feel maybe the most useful when I'm teaching meditation or you know, giving these talks, but I must say the time that I felt, see, I really felt that I was being the most useful was in these situations where there was death taking place. And I felt that through my contemplation, through my appreciation of this process called life, I could be a refuge for the dying and for the people around the dying. And as I said, it was also rewarding as a learning experience for me. Especially the first few times of actually having to be with somebody dying. But these are opportunities for us to contemplate, to bring into the mind this part of life which normally is avoided, so as to see if fear arises. And if fear arises, then we must deal with it. We must rise up above it. How do we do it? How do we rise up above fear of death? One first thing is to acknowledge its inevitability. Everything, animate, inanimate, follows the same process. It is just part of life. Part and parcel of life. No problem. It's not that we look forward to it, and because people say, well, if you're not afraid of death, why don't you kill yourself? Because we're not afraid of living either. <laughs> Does it mean that if you're not afraid of something, you have to do it? So this is uh, just like rising up and acknowledging, yes, this is part of life. Inevitably, I'm going to die. Okay, eventually I'm going to die, it's inevitable. So, I accept that. Everybody, every plant, every tree, every leaf, every insect, 
uh, every form, every being, and it follows the same path. Soon it will be autumn. The leaves on the trees fall off. You don't cry. Natural. Totally natural. That's what they're supposed to do at the end of the season. Human beings do the same thing. So we, we have to rise up to this occasion, to acknowledge this reality, to acknowledge this fact. What is also very helpful sometimes is if we can uh, have some confidence. The religious people usually have less fear of death than uh, the um, sorry, materialistic people, because for the materialist there is this one life, and this is it. Death is zero, end, finished, kaput. And of course, that's, well, for some people that's quite appealing, actually, but for most people it's quite, you know, it's all gone. It's not very desirable, it's quite frightening. But from the, uh, say, the Buddhist perspective, and also from the other religious perspective, death is never seen as the end. From the Buddhist perspective, birth is not the beginning, death is not the end. It's just one part of a whole process, a whole cyclic process of birth, death, rebirth, dying again, rebirth, dying again. So now, if one has some appreciation of that, some understanding of that, some confidence in that, death begins to lose its sting because it's not so final, it's not really the end. All it is is the end of a cycle, just a wave, and then the wave starts again. Just one, one wave, one, one cycle in the wave, and then the cycle continues. The leaves fall off the trees, but it's not the end. They go back to the soil and nourish, nourish the roots. Next year the tree has new leaves not disappearing into nothing. The same as the human life or the living, uh, say the mind and the body, this living being, and death is not the end. Conditioned by the moment of death is rebirth. So now an understanding of that, appreciation of that, does help to relieve a lot of the fear about death, that it's not the end. Not the end, all gone, all lost. So this, uh, we bring up the thought of death, actually to spirit, and really bring it into the mind, consciously. <coughs> if fear arises, then to be able to rise up about, above that fear, above the fear. So that the mind comes to terms, is at peace with the reality. Now this liberates us, this frees us, it enables us then to live our lives more fully. The contemplation of death, rather than making us depressed and morbid, can actually help us live our lives more fully, with more joy with more gratitude, with more appreciation. Because if we live our lives as we're going to live forever, we don't appreciate it. Hmm? You don't appreciate it. You take it for granted. You live in a very foolish way. We all live in very foolish ways. Simply because we don't really consciously <coughs> contemplate the fact of death. We live our lives in foolish ways. How? Just consider, you know, how much time do we waste? start. How much time do we waste? Then like today, how much time will we waste today? Worrying about next year. Can you wait until I finish the talk then? Waiting about, you know, worrying about next year or next 20 years or 
thinking about the future so that we're not really experiencing this day. We're not really fully living this day. Well, it's just another day. I'm looking forward to what Wednesday or two more days to go. Thursday, Friday, then that means then I can do Saturday with a footy, cricket, Sunday morning meditation at the Buddhist Society. Great. I'm really looking forward to that. It was the, the mentality of our society, this, this society in Australia is like five days of the week I just uh, spent waiting for the weekend. So you did two days out of seven. Two days out of seven for most people. The five days of the week I just endured, really existing. All from nine to five, the degree existence, and then sort of in the evening you, you live <laughs> for a couple of hours. So that we, we, you know, we don't really appreciate life, we don't really live our lives very fully. And we're taking it all so much for granted, as if we're going to make it till Saturday. You may not make it till Saturday. <laughs> I may not make it till Saturday. And if you, you know, really, you know, if I were not going to make it till Saturday, I'd better make use of today. So, you know, the contemplation of death does help to break this habitual way of living where we take so much of life for granted and waiting, waiting for the future so that we can then live and meanwhile missing the present. That's one of the foolish aspects of the way we live when we're not really contemplating death and having come to terms with death. The other one which is even worse is some of the things we do to each other. Some of the things we do to each other. You know, we, we can be very cruel, very mean and, and really hold on to the uh, the hatred or the resentment or the aversion and the, uh, you know, we can, you know, well, let him stew for a few days. <laughs> I'll let him, let her suffer for a few days. I'll apologize next Sunday. Kind of thing. So that we, you know, we, we do a lot of things, again, we do a lot of things related in many unskillful ways to each other again through the expectation that, you know, well, next time we can fix it up. Next week, next month. Move it over. But what about if there is no next month, next week? What about if there is no tomorrow? What about if, you know, if you have a talk, you know, you have an argument today, and then this little girl oh, may die tonight, she may die tonight, he may die tonight. You, you, mean, you wouldn't really want to part with that being the last memory of some, uh, you know, really awful uh, argument where you've said awful things to each other, cruel things to each other. I mean, you wouldn't want to have that as your last memory. Maybe better apologize now before it's too late. <laughs> you see, again, we take it for granted that there is going to be always a tomorrow, always a tomorrow, and you say, but I'm sure I'm not going to die tonight. Well, maybe not tonight, but one night, or one day, it is so uncertain. It really is so uncertain, you just don't know. 200,000 dollars a day. Tomorrow, another 200,000. There is no guarantee that it won't be one of us. I certainly hope it won't be, but it could well be. Uh, things do happen. And it's, I mean, I'm sure it's happened to you, maybe, it's happened to me anyway, where you speak to someone and you say, well, I'll have to go and see someone. And this happened to me that uh, the skeleton that I was telling you about at uh, what Lanachar, that we've got the skeleton, this 
skeleton is of a disciple of mine, who was a Thai woman, very devout. And um, she used to come to the monastery all the time, and then she got cancer. And she was really, you know, suffered a lot from this cancer. And I remember that I, I mean, I used to visit when all that, but I was, I was going to visit. One day, I, I was driving back from some business in the town towards the monastery, and I was passing right near her house, and I thought, maybe I should stop in to say, oh, I'm well, not today, tomorrow, I'm a bit tired. I'm just a bit tired, I can't, you know. I'll drop in a few days time. And she died. And I really regretted that I didn't drop in. That I didn't drop in that day, because I just assumed she'd be around the day after, you see. And that can happen to all of us. Now, if we really recognize that, if we could bring that consciously into our mind, it would help us again, live our lives a little more wisely and not let the, uh, the unfinished thing, the unfinished business, the negative experiences linger, the resentment, the hatred, the uh, conflict linger. And I've seen this in practice. My father, for about 16 years, he was, uh, we were not on good terms because I'm a Buddhist monk. He really resented that and he was very unhappy and just could not come to terms with it. Furthermore, he'd had an argument with his brother before I was born, I think. And they never spoke to each other. My brother lived in Italy. But even when, the, he, even when my father was living in Italy, there was this feud, family feud, between my father and my uncle. Then they would never speak to each other. They hated each other. And this went on for 30, 40 years, I don't know, 40 years. And there were a few other little things like that. Then one year, uh, my father changed quite radically. Quite uh, drastically. I said something to him once, so I don't think it was the only thing that caused this change, but it was one of the things. I said to him, if you are not going to change your view about me, then you're going to suffer for the rest of your life until the day you die. You're going to be in the state until the day you die. And I think that had a, quite an impact. And also, of course, He's getting old, so he's seen we reached 75, I think, or 74 at that time, 78 now. And uh, he really recognized the fact that he was going to die. It sort of became a conscious reality he was going to die. So he decided to set his home straight. And so he made peace with me. He went to Italy and resolved this thing with his brother. Settled this argument that had been going for 40 years with his brother. Settled all the financial things that had been left pending for about, uh, about 15 years or something. And um, so he came back, and one thing he said to me, he said, I don't want to die with uh, any of these unfinished things on my mind. I want to die peacefully. I don't want to have any of these unfinished things troubling me when I die. That's the effect of contemplating this reality of death. It makes us you know, live more wisely, resolve these unfinished things. Don't let them linger. The, the fights, the uh, hatreds, the, con the conflicts, or the feuds, the deaths, whatever. You know, we have incentive. Let's get it in order. That's very important. This is the benefit of contemplating death. It affects the way we live our lives. We live it more fully with gratitude. We don't let things linger on unfinished business. Also, our values in life will change. What is important? And what is really important to us? What is so important to us now? What is preoccupying you? What is 
burning in you? What is motivating you now? What is, what is your drive in life? Now, if we really contemplate that, it may cause us to reconsider our values. It doesn't matter how much money you've got, you can't take any of it with you. It's said by everybody, every religion. It's true. It's perfectly true. Mr. Hancock just proved it. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Don't take anything at all with you, whether you have a million or just ten cents. Or ten cents, sorry. You don't have any pence. Alright. You don't take it with you. Your own body. You have to leave it for others to dispose of by one way or another because it's just refuse left behind. You can't take it with you, unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending on whether you're a funeral director. Everybody took their own bodies, that's it. You know, more funeral directors require more people unemployed. So you can't take these bodies with you, you can't take the wealth with you, you can't take the cars with you, you can't take the houses with you, you can't take our Buddhist temple with us. Now that will give us an, you know, make us consider, well, how important are these things to us? I mean, what is really important in our lives then? What do we take with us? Is there anything we take with us? What is important? Well, maybe the quality of life is more important than the material states, material acquisition. The quality of life is primarily the quality of our mind. How we live in today may be more important than supported uh, by my karma. Whatever karma I do, either good or bad, of that I will be the heir. That is all that follows. The qualities that we develop within us, the, the, the qualities of mind and heart, the spiritual qualities, good or bad qualities, this is what we inherit, this is what conditions the rebirth shapes the future. And so, again, this can give us a very new value for our lives. The contemplation of death it may change our values. Maybe we may not think it's so important to strive so much to make that extra million. We may not live that long to enjoy, we may as well enjoy the million we've already got and live more peacefully and and start building on some spiritual qualities, maybe. You know, just it can have a very good effect on the way we begin to live our lives and with the values we develop in our lives. It's not just being successful; it's also how we become successful. Maybe in the how, in other words, what we're developing within us is even more important than either becoming successful or not successful. I was giving a talk the other evening to a group of people. In the audience there were quite a few young people and the question was the relevance of Buddhism in this competitive era, competitive uh, society. And uh, I said, I don't mind competition. I think competition is good as long as competition does not mean abandoning you, your humanity. Competition is fine but it should not be at the expense of your humanity, of the humane qualities of virtue, of compassion. These are more important. But you can still compete, you can still strive, but not at the expense of these qualities, because in the end these are more important. This is your true inheritance. Whether you... Whether, like... You know, whether you succeed in getting that business deal or not, whether you make that hundred thousand or not, whether you get that new car, uh, you know, $10,000 cheaper or not, in the short term it seems so important, but $10,000 is a lot of money. It is a lot of money. But if you have to do that at the expense of your humanity, your 
moral principles, your virtue and your compassion, your honesty, it's not worth it. Because you'll have to leave that as left behind. Sooner or later, or maybe sooner than you expect. But that quality of mind, that is your inheritance. So this contemplation of death can help us to live our lives with more gratitude, with no fear, more fully, with you know, really an immediacy and a fullness and values that are really important. This is why we encourage <coughs> contemplating death. And the process of dying. Having considered all of this, if we've done all of this, when the dying becomes no longer a contemplation but an actual experience for us, we can face it also without fear. We can face it without fear. And we can also do a lot to die a good death. Dying a good death means, in actual fact, if we've lived a good life, dying a good death is very easy. But regardless of how we've lived, because most of us have you know, some good, some not so good, we can still endeavour to do, die a good death. The dying process, we, we stress very much is, um, to help the person in that situation to again develop the same quality of fearlessness. Death is not to be feared. It's just natural. Natural. But the, the, the fear of death sometimes is associated with so the fear of pain. For many people it's more the fear of pain and the fear of separation from all that is loved, from all of one's belongings. So at the time of dying it's very important to encourage the person, to reassure the person, to reassure yourself. For a start, pain, yes it is difficult to bear. But these days there is one fortunate thing, is that through the development of medicines, and the, uh, it is very possible to reduce the amount of pain, physical pain, that any human being has to experience at death. So that uh, pain need not be such an overwhelming uh, fear. We reassure, I usually reassure the dying people, somebody who's got, say, something like cancer, uh, you won't be allowed to suffer, you won't be allowed to have to endure so much excruciating pain, it will be, you'll be given medicine. <coughs> and they should be. They should be given medicine to alleviate that pain for a start so they can relax and, and die more peacefully, which is very important. The other one is the separation, of course. The separation from the loved ones, from one's possessions and all that. Of course, if we've contemplated this before, it's a lot easier. We know to come together implies that we must separate. Having come together, there must be separation. That's all life is, a coming together and a separation. I came two months ago, two days I'll be leaving. It's just the way it is. Coming together, separation. That's everything. If we've contemplated that, it won't be so frightening to us. If a person hasn't, then you need to gently encourage and reassure the children will be taken care of. The, relative, the, the wife who's left behind or the husband who's left behind will be taken care of. They're all right. You know, there's a lot of friends who look after them. Don't worry, just relax, be peaceful. Don't worry about them. They're well, they'll, they'll be all taken care of. Everything will be taken care of. So the whole emphasis is to try and encourage the person either oneself or another, in that moment approaching death, to become more peaceful. Very, very important. How can one die a good death? By becoming more peaceful. And so we, uh, in the Buddhist, uh, the way I, I like to do it is for a start, if in a dying room, and I can, in a room where there is someone dying, is that to try and maintain an atmosphere of peace. Mm. It's not very good to have people 
shouting and screaming and wailing and crying and tugging and pulling. I mean, what does that do to the poor person who's got this important appointment, this very important thing to do, die? It makes it very difficult for that person to die peacefully. I mean, time's quite done. Everybody peacefully. It's good if people are present, though. It's good if relatives are present. It's good if there are people there to show by their presence that they care, they love, but they're willing to let go, to reassure, to offer support. And that's enough. And signs, symbols are very useful. If it's a Buddhist, then Buddhist statue, and uh, maybe presence of Buddhist monks, and soothing words, and maybe some chanting, to allow the person to give up one's life with the, up, with the greatest peace and dignity is a wonderful thing, so that they move into the new life in the best possible way. So these are some of the things uh, with regards to death and dying. And there could be many other, many, many other aspects of this topic that I could cover, but uh, I don't want to go beyond my allotted time. There are a few stories from the, the Buddha which illustrated uh, very much what I've been saying. Uh, the classical one, I tell this at every funeral, is the one of Kisa Gotami, who was a lady uh, in the time of the Buddha who had a son, a little baby son, of which she was very proud, naturally, because a son is, much, is worth much more than a daughter in some cultures, not that's only the belief of that belief. <laughs> Certainly you can see this is a problem today in China and um, you know it's creating a lot of problems. And in India it was the same, the idea that the sun of course, is, you know people prefer the sun is very important and because of some of the religious beliefs, not Buddhist. Um, so, you know, this, this little baby got sick, very sick, critically sick, and actually died. But Kisa Gautami was so disturbed, so distressed that she became uh, so a little bit uh, off balance mentally. And she could not accept that this baby had died. She just could not accept it. No, it's only sick. I need medicine. I have to have medicine to cure my baby. And she went from place to place, from home to home, friend to friend. No one would say, well, the baby's dead. Medicine, medicine. And uh, then she finally went to the Buddha because she saw, you know, heard of this spiritual teacher. Uh, obviously, of great psychic potency. Went to the Buddha, please give me some medicine that will cure my baby who's sick. The Buddha said, Go to me, put the baby down here. I will cure your baby, provided that you get a few mustard seeds for me. But you must get these mustard seeds from a home where there's never been a death. And so she went running off into the town and went to the first house and asked for a few mustard seeds. And they, yes, of course. But as just before she accepted the mustard seeds, she asked, has there ever been a, a death in this home? Yes, of course. Only a few months ago, so and so died. And she went from home to home and the experience was exactly the same. And this gradually you know, had an effect on her. When she came towards the end of the village, you know, this, this fact finally pushed through the demented state of ignorance. Yes, death is everywhere. In every home there's death. Death is part of life. So that she could then recognized this fact and come to terms with this reality and she went back to the Buddha and the Buddha said, Go to me, did you get the mustard seeds? Enough of mustard seeds, venerable sir. And she took her baby, cremated the baby, came back and became a Buddhist nun. And not long after she became enlightened. 
But it is very uh, this this story I like very much because it does represent very much the Buddhist approach to death. Rather than saving the baby, bring the baby back to life. Whether the Buddha could do that or not, I'm not. Um, I'm not going to say. I don't know. He had great powers, but it's not the Buddhist way. The Buddhist way is the acknowledging of reality. Death is the reality. When it is a reality, it must be accepted. We don't look for death, but we don't fear death. We don't ask for death, but we're willing to accept when it comes. And through this understanding that comes from this contemplation, we can live a good life with good values, with true appreciation, and we can die a good death peacefully. So, I think I'll stop at this point. There are some other areas which I had hoped to cover, but uh, maybe these will come up in the course of the question and answer period, which I'd like to now um, start by inviting you to question either you know, on what I have covered, but also if I've missed certain areas that you think should have been covered, please uh, do ask or mm, question on those topics. Yes.